0: Welcome everyone to the April 28th uh, QPSC. Um, Let's uh, go right into roll call, please.
1: Trustee Banerjee.
2: Here. Trustee Bouquet, Here. Trustee Dong. Here. Trustee Esteen will be a little late. Trustee
3: Jensen is not here yet. And Trustee
2: Splendoria. Here. We do have a quorum, thank you
0: yes thank you so um uh regarding public comment it's my uh i've been informed that there is no public comment but i want to make comment about public comment um just as a reminder um that uh, this board uh, uh, appreciates uh, all voices in in the form of public comment there is a process to do it Uh, the clerk of the board needs to be informed that is all in the public documentation so uh, uh, again this space is for our public so with that there is none but uh, I'm going to say it anyways. Next, I'm going to go to the purpose of the QPSC. We'll open every meeting, reminding ourselves about why we are here, and I'll read from the charter uh, once again. The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care that's our charter uh, and until it changes I'll keep reading it as such so uh, let's go right into item a our our article of the month um, trustees was entitled maximizing the effectiveness of the board's quality committee leading practices and lessons learned if you will this is a so-called white paper on uh, on the the argument for our existence here uh, on this committee. Um, I think this should also be one that we put into the vault under core reading as a core reference for what we do. This one's it's a pretty long one. You know, it's a good, you know, 15, 20 pages or so. But of course, they've nicely created an executive summary. I'm just going to highlight a few of the items, then open it up for dialogue. And then let's put this article in the back of our head and actually for the audience as well, because it might be some guidance on, on, uh, on how to present and the like. Um, I'm gonna quote from kind of the argument for our existence. Uh, uh, this is excerpted uh, uh, from, the, from the article. Studies show that, uh, extracted from the article, studies show that hospitals that perform well on quality tend to have strong committed boards with well-informed, skilled board members who make quality a priority, set clear and measurable goals for improvement, and demand action when the organization fails to meet those goals the affordable care act moreover requires hospital boards to take an active role in ensuring that both quality and efficiency are improved um, in the executive summary there were four uh, kind of lessons i want to make a brief commentary then open it up lesson one our job is to focus on governance not operations we have a management team that does operations our focus is on the governance, um, uh, the architecture if you will, for our system. Second lesson, we should create the same accountability for quality and safety as the Finance Committee has for budget. So so that is the Quality Committee should take ownership over the manage- management's work plan for achieving quality and safety, setting quality related goals and monitoring progress towards them. Not doing the work plan we have ownership over the work plan and approving the work plan presented to us by 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 management third oversee the integrity and reliability of the credentialing process and fourth lesson we need to send clear, which i think is the most important one send clear signals about the desired culture of openness and transparency so the, I, I think those are great lessons uh, and then my last commentary before i close it and open it up Last year, one of the condition level findings we, uh, we took on from the Joint Commission was uh, called uh, governing body. And, and, uh, and that was because it is this board's responsibility to have oversight over governance of quality and safety. I'm happy to, 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 to steal a little bit of the our chief quality officer who will give more, but that is no longer a condition level finding for us. But it was at one time, and I and I never want to forget that past because it was a relatively dark, relatively it was a dark moment for our organization uh, amongst the five. So with that, I'll, I'll I'll shut my pie hole, and I'll I'll let uh, I'll let uh, I'll open it up to the floor. Trustees, any comments? All right, maybe we will have the a- the oh,
2: questions. Uh, that we, oh, sorry, sorry.
0: No, please, Trustee Energy, go for it.
2: Oh. I think the committee uh, has such a role to play in kind of modeling and purging a culture of openness and transparency. And I like those discussion questions about what then, you know, how do you create that, those conditions that allow those things to be surfaced? And so there was a list of questions there, which I thought were really, really good. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for reading it, uh, Trustee Banerjee. So um, again, this should be sort of core article readings as we build our library of reference materials that we keep going back to because it is not hard to, uh, when when it's not standard work for us, it's hard to, to lose, lose some of this. So we'll keep reminding each other. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any other comments? All right, thank you. Okay, right on time. With that, we'll close item A, Item B includes uh, minutes from March 24th. It includes five, uh, sorry, six uh, system policy and procedures and seven privileging forms. Uh, Trustees, the consent agenda is before you, uh, before entertaining a motion to uh, approve the entirety of the consent agenda. Are there any items that need to be removed for discussion? Going once, going twice. Three times. May I entertain a motion to improve, to approve uh, the consent agenda in its entirety? Taft, I will move the consent uh, agenda for approval. Thank you, Trustee Splendorio. Uh, May, will someone second the good Trustee Splendorio? Anyone, McFly, second? (laughs) Do I not have a second?
3: Second.
0: Ah, it happens. Okay, uh, uh, let's uh, let's roll call. Madam Clerk, can we roll call?
2: Yes, uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet.
4: Aye.
2: Trustee Dong. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria.
4: Uh, aye.
2: The motion
3: passes. Thank you.
0: Thank you. All right, moving along. Uh, of course, our next standing agenda item is to hear from our medical staff leaders. That's part of our charter is to directly engage with them. Uh, so this uh, is the medical staff reports. Um, uh, we will be hearing from them on whatever they want to tell us about. They, uh, they uh, have included items in their packet. Um, and um, hopefully you were able to see some of that as a preview, but wanting to give them voice. Um, how about we open up with Dr. Brandon Besh? is the vice chief of staff uh, sitting in for Dr. Irina Williams, the chief of staff representing the Alameda health system. Hi, Dr. Besh.
5: Hello. Um, should I just go? Go for it, sir. All right. Um, so you can see what, what I submitted. I think the first thing I wanted to highlight was I wanted to thank Satira and the medical staff team administrative team for getting all of these um, credentialing, uh, um, I guess, uh, privilege forms up to date. And I wanted to say it was a great example of them really supporting the docs in that I was able to get cons- uh, these types of forms from other organizations. Um, I got some from OHSU and Providence in Portland because I know some docs there and helped me update our privilege forms to make them make them current. So. I was able to do that. They helped me get it in. It was it was really amazing. So I wanted to give them a huge kudos for all of the ones that were put in here that were, were sorely needed. Um, the other big item was Schwartz rounds are coming back to Highland. I think it's been I don't know like eight or nine years. Taft, you can probably tell me. I, I remember when I was a resident. Yeah, uh, 2015 was when we had class. Okay. Would, would you here. mind, Dr.
0: Besh, what the the trustees what and and the audience what Schwartz rounds are?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Schwartz rounds is 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 really like. You could think of it almost as like a presentation of case or something that's going on, but it's really focused on not problem solving the issues that came up. It's more about how you felt the human dimension is really, it's really, that's the whole, the whole thing is the human dimension of medicine. So at one short Rounds in the past that I've been to there, they brought the patient Um, And the issues that that patient had and then how it felt for the nurse and the patient to interact and they shared with each other those feelings. And it was very empowering. Um, And so anyone from the, anyone from the care team can come to those rounds. And uh, I I'm hopeful that it'll bring more joy and, um, and, 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 uh, and excitement to, to our data to work, but I think it'll also build um, teamwork and collaboration um, with, with with everyone across the spectrum of patient care,
0: um, Dr. Bashwood. Uh, and apologies, I actually probably should let you speak. Uh, that's my bad. Would it be possible? Uh, is it appropriate to have trustees invited to this? Absolutely. Or is HIPAA? I believe. Are there, are there HIPAA issues? Maybe just a question, uh, so the trustees could see in real time. I believe
5: sort of. that I believe that anyone can be invited, but I would have to get back to you on exactly. Um, on exactly if there were any HIPAA issues, but usually the patients agree to be, to be a part of this conference, or at least they know that it's happening. So. Thank you. So a placeholder potentially for trustees. Absolutely. As, as no, absolutely. As no invite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then let me get back to my, I guess the other items were key concerns that you ask us to submit um, every month. And so I think for, for me, um, I was reflecting on this before, before writing this last week, and I looked back at the article that you guys uh, discussed, which was a, uh, creating a culture of continuous improvement from the Harvard Business Review. And I think in the first paragraph, it talks about someone leaving an organization. And um, I think in our quality department, there's changes happening. Um, and I think, I think that that's something that's concerning to our medical staff. I think there's been huge strides that have happened. And I think that Tanvir has been a massive leader of change, and I want to thank him so much for that. And I want to I, I, I want to make sure that we can continue all the work that has been set up in the quality department, and continue to move it forward um, uh, in, in in at AHS, and continue to improve um, on all the metrics that we're going to discuss a, a little bit later in the in the open session. So I think that was that was a a big um, a big uh, question that came to my mind when i read that article last week um and so Tim, thank you for all your advocacy and all your work on everything that's come up um the the medical staff is very grateful and i think we need to continue that that encouragement and accountability of the frontline staff that they bring to qpsc and other board meetings and and the meetings they hold every month so the other issue with specialty care and coverage and transfers, um, I could probably spend the entire two hours talking about about all of the things that this uh, impacts. Um, I think that really this is going to get down to our vision as a healthcare organization and what what services we provide. I think inpatient, outpatient, where do we refer people? Where do we transfer people? Personally, as a hospitalist at Highland, this is this is a tough point because. If we're going to have special, all the specialty care centered at Highland, how are we going to transfer patients to where we already have a throughput problem, um, and hospitalists are, are trying our best to try to move patients through, um, and now we're getting more patients from other places in our system, and so I think it's something to think about. And throughput is actually, I think, I believe a, a board, a board or QPSC item that you're that you're following closely, and so I think I think we need to be very cognizant. of of how we're going to manage this coverage in our system and what does that vision look like and then the last piece is the culture of transparency uh, um, and uh, communication and trust and so I would like to thank all the trustees who have come out and reached out to come to meetings and and come to the front line um, and see what's going on in the hospitals also I wanted to thank um, the uh, Mr. Jackson, and, and even Mr. Fratsky, I saw you on the floors of last or whatever, two weeks ago. And so I think I really appreciate seeing the leaders out and getting to know what's happening on the frontline staff. Um, I think we're also interested in seeing what the results are on the Culture of Safety Survey. And hopefully we can build trust that more providers actually participate in the survey moving forward. And then the last thing that kind of goes to the Culture of Safety Survey is I'm also appreciative of the 360 review that we have that we got to participate in for Mr. Jackson, and I think we should do this for all leaders at our organization. Um, and I think it's something that's been lacking um, in 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 that that I haven't seen a lot of 360s of myself or other leaders in this organization. Um, and I hope that we can continue to do that um, for everyone moving forward. So, thank you, Dr. Bash. Thanks
0: for that. Um uh trustees, any questions for Dr. Bash? Um Dr. Bash, thank you for expanding the written as the as the leverage to the discussion and uh for contributing uh, having the braveness to do openness and transparency again. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Trustees, no further questions for Dr. Bash. With that, we will go to Dr. Adris Avzali, who is the from the San Leandro Hospital Leadership
4: Committee. Dr. Vsali, hi, how are you? Hi, good evening all. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Bouquet. All here, sir. So thank you for having me. Um, I will start by saying that we are uh, optimistic at San Leandro. Things have been moving in the right direction, as I mentioned during our board meeting uh, earlier this month. Um, I have my three areas, the uh, top area that uh, Brandon mentioned, uh, I think we share across all sites, including Alameda. Um, and I've kind of grouped my, uh, my three categories under patient care, staffing, and quality. Um, and the first one is uh, patient care, uh, which includes transfers and subspecialty consults. I think this has uh, taken front and center stage on, on, on my uh, agenda items and things that I'm focusing on. Uh, because it's critical not only for patient care, um, but also in our capacity to treat these patients. Um, So transfers between sites, I think, is uh, very important because each site has uh, separate abilities and capacity to care for certain types of patients, with Highland being sort of at the center of that. Um, But we also have to be mindful of... uh, how patients are moved, making sure that those patients are appropriate for movement uh, and uh, and that the transfers are for for a higher level of service um, and and, and that the appropriate people are involved at the right time. Um, The uh, transfer center is is great. Uh, It's still relatively new and a lot of things to be worked out, but uh, has been helpful in this regard uh, subspecialty consultants uh, is, the, is the latest topic uh, that we're trying to address. Um, taking the additional volume of calls from Alameda and San Leandro um, has uh, increased their engagement with us, but uh, you know that hasn't necessarily uh, that hasn't necessarily been uh, a concurrent raise in uh, in, in their staffing and, and their capacity to take that increased volume. So we're trying to uh, sort of think outside the box and fi- find ways of getting these consults and getting the appropriate people involved without stretching them too thin. Uh, and actually the call uh, just before this, I was on with uh, with the subspecialty consultants, mainly surgical, was about how we can do that. And one of the uh, areas that I'll be exploring is uh, our capacity to do more uh, telehealth consults, uh, much like telepsychiatry Uh, and uh, last year we launched uh, teleneurology I think those are uh, those are great uh, you know leveraging technology uh, to increase our capacity to manage these patients Uh, so that's one of the things that uh, I'll be looking at and hopefully I could bring updates about that uh, in the coming months Um, there isn't a whole lot to update regarding staffing I think that's going in the right direction Um, quality uh is the is the last box I wanted to mention uh, our telemonitors are coming thank you much to uh, everyone involved in helping making that happen um, ultrasound use in the emergency department uh, is uh, uh, an item that has yeah you know, we've been doing it for a long time but we haven't been able to document uh, those encounters or save our images to our uh, uh PACS uh, units, so uh, the uh, good news on that front as well. I, IT is working on uh, on building that at San Leandro and Alameda. Uh, what that also means is that the ultrasounds that we've been doing uh, forever, uh, we can start storing our images, start developing a QA process, and start billing for those uh, for those studies that we do. Uh, mainly uh, after hours after 5 p.m when the ultrasound techs go home uh, we do a lot of ultrasounds Uh, we document all of that but without saving those images and having a quality control process in place we can't bill for them so as soon as we get this it portion sorted out we can start billing for them as well Um, last item i have to mention is the Uh, RCA from February that uh, resulted in our review of the CDC policy. Um, That's uh, uh, hopefully uh, I won't say too much in case Dr. Turner uh, has any updates on that. But uh, uh, well, I'll just mention that uh, we've picked a standard uh, set that we'll be using at uh, San Leandro and Alameda. It's the same set that's in use at Highland. It's great um, and ideal for the emergency department and ICU. And there will be a policy update on that since as as we have consensus that should uh, go to the CPC and ultimately the board at sometime next month. That's all I have for you.
0: Thank you for that report, Dr. Afzali. Trustees, any questions for Dr. Afzali? Dr. Afzali, I have a question and it sort of kind of goes to the theme of variance within our system you you report on uh, on uh the status of ultrasound in the san leandro er when when texts are gone and you do it yourself but you can't really upload the images is this the same for uh the highland emergency department and the alameda emergency department is it uniformly across or is there variance? i guess i'm trying to get at there's
4: you. variance. uh so highland can uh, upload images and they have been uh alameda and san leandro cannot okay and so that that that's the part that's being addressed now. Yeah, yeah. Variants, right? That,
0: that's that's where we're, we get exposed. Trustees, any other questions? Dr. Afsali, thank you for your report and always uh, speaking up. And uh, I'm I, I I I will celebrate with you when you get your equipment. <laughs> thank you. Um, Dr. Kathy Pion, our chief of staff at um, Alameda Hospital. Hi, Dr. Pion. How are you? hi welcome
3: thank you uh just wanted to uh thank you again uh for having me and um you know the major issues are the similar i mean i think the transfer system is uh, always going to be an issue i mean we're a small hospital again within a larger system and uh so far it's been working better the transfer center is very helpful it has actually pushed a number of difficult transfers through for us. I've seen a few of them. Some of them we couldn't get done. Uh, I've been saying 100%, but, um, you know, uh, there's also, you know, sometimes lack of uh, some subspecialty support here and there. So, for example, we like uh, we had a patient who needed really an EEG for seizures or, or to, to assess for seizures, and that, that's something we don't really have on campus right now. And that is something I believe that heard discussion with our CMOs uh, that that is something that we're going to work on trying to get in the near future. Um, but, uh, you know, the, again, working work in progress, we're always monitoring that. We're always monitoring the um, subspecialty support and access. Um, an issue came up with a question about um, e-consults as um you know, when you're discharging someone from the hospital, sometimes you want to set them up with uh, a subspecialty appointment, and that has to be done through the subspecialist who's actually seeing the patient. You can't just set one up without um, them actually involved in the case. And um, there should be a, a much better, I think, route to get the, since the primary care physicians or the primary care, clinics um, through Highland or Eastmont Wellness or all the other clinics can set up those outpatient subspecialty appointments. There should be a a really good way to communicate with these uh, the primary care physicians uh, and we're working on perhaps a way to do that so that things won't get dropped. If the patient needs um, to see a subspecialist for some reason, obviously we cannot as hospitals make those appointments ourselves, but we can um, get those patients in to see their primaries and talk to perhaps have a a way to communicate with the primary clinic, primary care for clinics, and uh, possibly get them hooked up. uh, If if not through that, through urgent care. So that's another issue that came up recently. um, We we really don't want that kind of information to drop off and things get dropped. Once they get discharged, we want to make sure they get all the care they need as an inpatient, but also as an outpatient. Um, So uh, those are things we're looking at. Um, I've always uh, talked to, uh, with Tanbir, saying, talking about just culture, that's always going to be uh, near the top of our concerns. Um, We really want to create a culture where we're continually trying to improve as an organization, uh, as physicians. uh, Not be afraid to point out mistakes or things we could have done better and make it a learning experience and, continue, again, continue to push forward and try to improve and uh, not make it a punitive uh, type of situation, but a learning, a learning um, opportunity. Um, I also mentioned survey. The surveys are coming uh, soon, and we're trying to prep our students. Uh, medical staff to get ready for that i've gotten some good emails and some information from uh, our leadership and i'm trying to spread that around to our physicians so they can be ready also um i I see that our leadership has been running around trying to do a lot of uh, work uh uh, getting things ready for the surveys and uh, i I do appreciate uh, the the hard work that they're putting in to, to to do that so um it's largely what i wanted to talk about is if there's any questions please let me know thank you
0: thank you for your presentation dr Pyon. trustees any questions of dr pune
2: oh i have a follow-up question chair bouquet
0: yes ma'am of course
2: um, i'm sorry i may have missed this but you were talking about the
3: discharge process and follow-up with subspecialty and specialty care um what did you, did, you might have already mentioned it, what path do you see to re, uh, resolution and making sure that the patient does actually get those types of appointments? This, did you say you, you would contact the primary care provider? I, I
6: think I may have missed it.
3: Yeah, I think in, in, the, in the beginning when we started Epic, we could actually put in those appointments ourselves and, and, you know, these, and, and there would be appointments made through the system, the consult system, and they'd be contacted and they would get their follow-up or whatever subspecialty. And then it sort of disappeared. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, well, what do we do now? And Mm -hmm. so, and I've been talking, we've been talking to leadership, our chief medical officers about it. The problem with that is that we just, let's say I just schedule XYZ patients to see a surgeon. And, you know, there's no one, they can't keep talking to me ongoing about this patient. I'm not the primary care doctor. I completely divorced myself of this patient once they leave the hospital. So who do they communicate with for ongoing um, issues or whatnot? So they need to really do that through the PCP the primary care physician. So this is really in the purvey of the primary care physician being the point person. And I agree with that overall. I, I mean, I think that that's good that, we, but we need to have a very, very strong connection between a hospitalist and a PCP or a primary mm-hmm. care clinic. And there's also patients that fall through the cracks. that don't practice, that don't have a PCP. They don't. Have, they're not really connected to the, to the to those clinics yet. They haven't. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, they've landed in the hospital for some medical reason, and they they've never have to have a. They never felt like they needed a primary care doctor. Well, they, they need. We need to get them set up with that and a way to. Um, for the for the PCP or the primary care physician that, that gets assigned to that patient to know what's not to have this information drop off, but to know what's the next step. How do they how do they carry the torch for this patient and and, and continue um, carrying and not dropping things? Um, they need that follow up CAT scan. They need that follow up with the with a subspecialist, whatnot. So, I you know I I I've just you know we've opened up a dialogue with this uh, our chief our our leadership. I, I think I'm going to try to get in touch with uh, the chief of um, the primary care department and see what we can do. I think EPIC in, a, in a, alone in itself is actually, actually in itself a very good way to do it. If they already have an established physicians through the clinics, I can always text them and say, look, your patient, I'm discharging them. They need a CAT scan. They need a GI consult as an outpatient for their anemia whatever it is. And I can, email, I can actually text or email them and they can get, review my discharge summary. And in that way, that can help. But for patients that don't have that doctor yet or, you know, someone that knows them, that's that can be a little trickier, you know. Mm-hmm. So we need to, there's a lot of things to work out. But um, it, we do want to make sure that, you know, patients um, that get their outpatient care and inpatient care, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, it's, it's definitely a work in progress.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you for the question, trustee. Trustees, other questions? So, so some some rhetorical questions, uh, not necessarily answers for, for our med staff leaders to present. So how do we, uh, uh, great that we can create issues which are, and transparently and honestly and bravely say what they are, but how do we measure whether they're moving in the right direction or the wrong direction? And uh, uh, to quote you, uh, uh, Dr. Cohn, the transfer center is always going to be an issue, and it is my hope that that uh, in some time in the near future this stops being on the list. And but but the question is, what are the data metrics to show that all right, the transfer center is actually doing more than it used to used to be? You know, to go from the qual to the quant. Uh, you know, uh, you know the the human mind tends to have a negativity bias, and I want us to uh, to make sure that we have the data sets to help clarify these things. So. As a a good news on that item, Dr. Pyun and Dr. Besh, who also mentioned it and Dr. Avzali, um, ultimately we will be hearing a report on the state of the transfer center. And um, that's on our tracking list because it is essential to our throughput through this organization. And you're right, Dr. Besh, one, one of our metrics on the system board is basically lost hospital days. Um, and uh, we can put a math impact how many dollars are lost when we have lost hospital days. So these are great questions. And then last to the audience and then to, to our med staff leaders. This Friday, we have our, our board of trustees retreat. And one of the four blocks is called uh, strategic considerations. And, and these three strategic considerations will sort of touch... Uh, uh, the practice at Alameda Health System. One is we're gonna hear from the the new president of the East Bay Medical Group. She's gonna tell us the current and contemplate the future state of EBMG. Obviously staffing, uh, physician staffing is a part of the equation, so she'll get to that. Next, we'll hear from our chief operating officer, uh, Mark Fratsky on San Leandro Hospital. He'll tell us about the current state and contemplate future state. So that sort of goes to strategic considerations. And then last but not least, we'll hear uh, uh, about Alameda Hospital. That'll be our interim CEO working with uh, Debbie Stebbins, who's the executive director of the Alameda Healthcare District, contempla- uh, talking about the current state of affairs with our relationship with Alameda Hospital and contemplating future considerations. So uh, we put that in the bucket of, of strategic considerations. So if you or your colleagues can attend, I think that uh, we might glean something from that conversation. That's this Friday. So with that, um, barring no further questions from the trustees, I will now um, close item uh, C and then we will go into item D. Uh, this is the bundled patient safety, regulatory affairs and quality dashboard. Our chief quality officer, Dr. Hussein will lead this. But of course, remember Dr. Hussein is supported by Darshan Graywall, our assistant director of patient safety. Nilda Perez, our System Director of Regulatory Affairs, and of course Annette Jam- Johnson,
7: our Quality Analytics Director.
0: Hi, Dr. Hussein.
7: Hi, Trustee Bouquet. Can, can you guys hear me okay and see my screen? Yes, sir. Okay. Very, very good. So, the primary, you have our standard reports, and I think by now you're hopefully um, getting accustomed to the cadence of reporting in the data. Um, so I'm going to make sure we have plenty of time here at the end for you to ask questions, but uh, really I want to focus on two things or highlight two things today. Um, one is sort of just give you an update on where we are in terms of the culture of safety um, uh, data rollout, and the second is really to celebrate um, uh, our uh, the closure of our triennial uh, accreditation process at the core. So I'm going to really spend time on those two areas, and thank you, Dr. We kept identifying um, all the leaders who um, uh, compiled these reports. This, it's is a lot of work. Um, so in terms of the culture of safety uh, survey, um, uh, I think we presented last month that uh, we hit about a 70 71% participation rate, so that's great. Um, but obviously that creates uh, you know, an important responsibility for us now to um, respectfully uh, review the data, disseminate the data, and more importantly sort of drive action plans around that data. So uh, yesterday, um, our director of patient safety, Darshan Greywa, and myself um, attended a um, a briefing, a webinar by Safe and Reliable, who's the vendor for our SCORE culture of safety survey, um, and uh, confirmed that we are still um, uh, on course to begin receiving that data um, uh, by next week. So basically, Safe and Reliable, which is the vendor, will begin to push us reports, um, beginning first at the organizational level, then at the facility level, and then at the departmental unit level. So, as we get those, um, the patient safety team will be um, ensuring that they validate uh, that the data corresponds to the unit from which it came uh, to the to the best extent that they can, recognizing that the data is anonymous. So. Um, We have a couple of uh, steps. um, um, So next week, um, Darshan and myself will meet with the executive leadership team to uh, debrief about the organizational level data, uh, review that organizational level data, and then begin sort of figuring out what are the uh, system rollout strategy. Um, So we are on course in brief. um, And here's a summary of how that debriefing plan will occur. It will be a multi-month plan. Um, and in the appendix of the patient safety report, you can even see um, some of the online tools that the patient safety team has worked, has been working with uh, the vendor on uh, to make sure we can actually um, uh, um, present uh, the data to our leaders, um, uh, record the debriefing notes and then come up with action plans. So a lot of work to make sure there's a clear uh, structure uh format in doing this and, and 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 that we can track this so that's my update on uh, the culture of safety survey and the plan um, and then the next uh, major item i want to discuss obviously is uh our uh, uh the closure of our triannual accreditation so at this juncture um uh i'm going to show a powerpoint rest assured that the PowerPoint only includes information that is in your packet. I've just made it a little—I've made it a little more visually pleasing uh, because there's a lot of uh, um, material here in your in your report. So I'm going to pause here, um, and I'm going to switch over to the PowerPoint. Um, and here we go. Okay, so uh, we have been on a uh, 14-month journey that started back in February of 2020 um, when we had our um, triennial survey, um, which, as um, Trustee Bouquet mentioned earlier, was a very humbling experience um, with um, uh, condition-level findings and governing body, infection control, environment of care, surgical services, and patient rights. Um, That February survey uh, led to a tremendous amount of reflection, both uh, by the governing body, our operations, um, as well as our frontline leaders. Um, um, Then in November, um, we had um, a follow-up survey, two-part follow-up survey, a Medicare deficiency survey, as well as a preliminary denial accreditation survey, which uh, went very, very well, at which point our accreditation status was um, restored. Um, There was a handful of findings that came out of the November survey. Um, So in this final uh, phase, um, uh, surveyors came back to do a couple of things. Um, One, to make sure that the handful of findings they observed in November were corrected. Um, Two, um, and perhaps more importantly, uh, the surveyors uh, wanted and uh, uh, wanted to assess whether or not they felt there was truly a governance culture and leadership change, and could they attest with confidence that the changes that we had made since February could be sustained? That, in my estimation, is is really what they were uh, here to do. Um, so. Um, uh they arrived uh um on april 13th um, um on april 13th uh, there was one engineer who came to clear our uh medicare deficiencies um this was related to pressure relationships at san leandro um uh, uh he flew in for a couple of hours he ensured that pressure relationships were correct and moreover he spoke with um, a, a multidisciplinary team to make sure that he had confidence that if this were to arise again, that it could be immediately corrected, and two, that there was a plan in place to make sure that it was prevented. So on that day, he exited with no findings um, and, uh, um, you know, clarified or confirmed that we remain in uh, um, compliance with the conditions of participation which is obviously very essential to us to allow us to continue to care for medicare and medicaid patients then um, the second part of the survey was the follow-up survey to that in november Uh, there were two surveyors one was a nurse administrator she was with us uh, for three days uh, on the 13th 14th and 15th she was primarily focused on uh, clinical care aspects medication management provision of care um, and uh, in fact, uh, she joined us for our leadership chat to hear uh, how we were celebrating Black Maternal Health Month and the uh, um, Beloved Birthing Program. Um, and then we had um, yet another engineer come from uh, on the 15th and 16th, um, wherein he reviewed those findings related to the Environment of Care, Life Safety, National Patient Safety Goal. And um, I am just absolutely delighted to say that we came away uh with this uh, four-day survey with three exits um with only one finding and it was not a recurrent finding from november it was just something new that the uh engineer surveyor actually said that almost uh, every facility he goes to except one a month has this finding so um so uh this is the safer matrix this is what the joint commission publishes um and, um, you know, we were all hoping that this would be blank when they exited, um, uh, really just, uh, con- you know, uh, visually confirming that w- we are on a path to zero. But I like to say that, um, uh, in fact, uh, when the surveyor left on Friday, we were at zero findings. And why is that? The finding that he discovered was that um, a few doors um, at John George and non-patient care areas, they were self-locking but not self-closing. And so we needed to put latches on these three or four doors to make sure they were self-closing. And um, what a remarkable demonstration of the power of a system. When that finding was discovered at 11 a.m., we were able to get on the phone. um, uh, And Mark said, do whatever you need to do. We called our engineers um, at the other facilities. They all came together. They brought latches from all their facilities. They all came to John George, and within 90 minutes, it was corrected. So I like to say that when the surveyor exited, there were zero findings. And I and I, and I, I say that because um, uh, well, actually, I will, I will tell you. I will tell you why uh, through the words of our surveyor. So, what does that mean? So this one finding, um, that's what this is here. It is mapped onto the Medicare conditions of participation. And um, that finding is not a condition level finding, which means that we compl- we continue to be in con- uh, compliance with the conditions of participation. It's a standard level finding. And basically all we need to do in 60 days is to put in writing that we corrected it and that we intend to you know, check all our doors. So that's all that will be needed. Um, when the surveyor exited on Friday, um, he mentioned to us that this puts us back on um, the typical triennial uh, survey process. And he mentioned the year 2023 being the next time we would see them for a triennial um uh we're uh Nilda our director of regulatory affairs is you know working with our joint commission representative to make sure we get that in writing because we want to convey to you uh with absolute firmness that that time period but the when the surveyor exited on Friday um uh he thought that the next survey we would get for our triennial is 2023 but we're working with the joint commission to get that really get that firmed up so here for at least uh, you know a year hopefully two years We don't expect any more surveys for a triennial accreditation. Our accreditation uh, status is restored. Um, And more than that um, uh, are some of the comments that I wanted to share uh, from the surveyors themselves. So the engineer surveyor actually disclosed to us that when he sees an organization has been through as many surveys as us, he actually dreads coming to those organizations because he finds that the people are um defensive and worn out and worn down and um actually before he arrived his colleague the nurse uh, administrator said to him on the phone we overheard it you're going to have a delightful time at this organization and he told us this organization when you know they had you know at a critical juncture in their history um decided to take these findings in the right way um And then he went on to identify that, you know, there was a meticulous plan of correction. I think I've cited these numbers for the passport. Uh, In in response to the February findings, we submitted a uh, 100-plus page document of our plan of correction, detailing how you would implement them, the training, the monitoring. Um, And he said, it's one thing to have it on paper, but you have them in place. Um, The nurse uh, uh, surveyor actually interacted um, a lot with our nursing staff uh, during her three days while she was doing chart reviews and said that, you know, I feel a curiosity um, and a relentless desire to improve. Meaning people were not afraid to have meaningful conversations with the surveyors about opportunities for improvement. Um, and she thought that this was a marker. The openness to have conversation, the curiosity about how to change things was a hallmark of a learning organization. Um, she said this herself while she joined us on the leadership chat. She said that she has great faith in the ability and the compassion of our staff, um, and I think she got a true sense of the role that AHS has in our community, which I hope um, uh, we will celebrate, lift um as a reason why it is so critically important for us to work hand in hand so that this mission remains vibrant um every day and for the days to come she put in her written notes that she felt that the leadership she engaged were uh, engaged with including um uh, dr bouquet who was uh, at our sessions and james and mark and and, and Gaston, as well as many of our, our cne and acmo that we were all engaged um, and that uh, that they supported the staff. And um, finally, uh, the surveyor said in closing, this is a new organization and you should celebrate today. And I will tell you that at Friday at 5 p.m., he didn't need to say that twice. We certainly did celebrate. <laughs> um so I'm going to leave you with some closing uh, quotes um, for those of you who know me. I'm sorry. Thank you for indulging me. Mm. But this is really a testament um, to every single person who comes, every staff and provider who comes into this system. Uh, boy, has this been a long journey with the Joint Commission, but then there was the pandemic. Um, there were you know, personal and professional circumstances that, the, that we each faced. And so... Um, uh, I'm reminded of this, uh, like tiny seeds with potent power to push through tough ground and become mighty trees, we hold innate reserves of unimaginable strength. We are resilient. Um, and um, you know, reflecting on uh, uh, the article from our discretion today, uh, this governing body plays a critical role, it has played a critical role in really fostering uh, leaders. Who, um, who allow a space for psychological safety for, that, for staff and providers to uh, um, provide their ideas, to envision uh, how we can be better. And then I want to share with you, and this will be my closing slide here, actually a quote that the lead surveyor shared with us. Um, <clears throat> and uh, she said, the names of the patients whose lives we save can never be known our contribution will be what did not happen to them. And though they are unknown, we will know that mothers and fathers are at graduations and weddings they would have missed, and that grandchildren will know grandparents they might never have known and holidays be taken and work completed and books read and symphonies heard and gardens tended that without, and I'm gonna say this to our organization, that without your work would have never been by one of our favorites, Dr. Donald Berwick. Um, and with that, uh, trustees, I'll lend my report.
0: Well, you know, if we were we we're in a hall, this quality team deserves a standing ovation if we were, but you know, I'm standing, so <laughs> man, it's not as powerful on Zoom as it. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, the, the, this quality team, uh, turned us, uh, there could, could, could not have been a larger turnaround five condition level findings. I've, I've never been, I've never seen such a survey. This is, this is my you know, uh, 22nd year as a doctor, and I'd never seen or heard of a survey of that. So this, this was a remarkable turnaround. Uh, and to the quality team, I say you have now positioned us. So we, we, we don't have to be reactionary in this. We've been reactionary a lot. This now puts us in a position, it gives us an opportunity, and it's not even guaranteed, where we can actually look forward and forecast uh, what we want to do uh, um, on a grander scale and more aspirational with regard to quality and safety. So, uh, again, standing ovation to this quality team. Standing ovation to this quality team. Um. So, because we get to look forward, uh, we're going to close out this item and then Dr. Hussein's going to continue. <laughs> uh, I, I asked Dr. Hussein to put together a review of publicly reported quality data. And why? Uh, so, you know, we, we have many stakeholders here in a healthcare organization. The, 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 the regulatory bodies are one of our stakeholders, but our public is also a key stakeholder. And, and there is an interface between our compliance data and uh, our public face. And I wanted to, to bring that to, to the forefront. I, I think all of us are customers and uh, you know, we've used Yelp or we've used whatever to find out if that restaurant is good or, or you know, you know, on Amazon, I'm not gonna buy anything that's less than four stars, right? Um, so uh, our public has access to, our, to, to, to such data. So as we begin to be aspirational, I wanted just to kind of set the the framework for where we currently sit and sort of a primer on publicly reported uh, uh, data. So this will be led again by Dr. Hussein uh, with support from uh, Annette. So uh, Dr. Hussein, welcome back.
7: <laughs> Hello there. Uh, okay, let me share my screen. This is in your packet, and um, uh, Annette, I think you're there to keep me honest. So please uh, correct me at any time and then, well, I'm sure we'll have time for uh, questions and, and then I'll just punt them to you. <laughs> um, okay. So um, we tried to scope this uh, to really talking about public reporting um, because, uh, through CMS because in all actuality, it is the biggest, you know, um, payer provider system and they do um, uh, monopolize sort of a lot of the discourse around a public reporting of quality data. So, um, so a couple of things. So the CMS hospital public reporting, um, you know, is comprised of three different uh, programs. Um, so there's the hospital readmission reduction program, the value-based purchasing program, and then the hospital-acquired uh, conditions reduction program. Each of these programs um, has a, a financial penalty or incentive associated with them, which hospitals see. Um, but through the use of these data, CMS also puts together a star rating for our hospitals, um, an overall star rating as well as the patient experience star rating. Now, one of the non-CMS uh, uh, public sort of scorecards that is most aligned with CMS is is Leapfrog, um, and so I want to explore Leapfrog with you as well. So, um, what are the financial incentives associated with these three streams? Well, for the readmission program, it's only a penalty program. Um, if you are uh, uh, beyond the expected number of readmissions, then you get a penalty. And this model uh, for calculating the expected amount of readmissions is based on clinical data. Um, A a theme uh, throughout all of the CMS programs is they do not yet take into account social determinants of health of the populations that hospitals serve. This is a quite contentious sort of um, uh, dialogue within the quality community about, you know, do you um, adjust? quality based on um, socio-demographics to make things more comparable, or might that perpetuate inequity? So all that to say, currently, CMS does not factor in social determinants. The value-based purchasing program, uh, uh, you can get a penalty or an incentive. Um, uh, If you're at the 50th percentile, you get nothing. If you're better than the 50th percentile, you get an incentive. Um, Otherwise, you get a penalty. And the hospital-acquired condition program is only a penalty program up to negative 1%. And um, basically, you have to be at the 75th percentile um, or better to not get a penalty. So these are the three programs. I'm going to show you what metrics um, fall under each of these programs. But these are the primary three programs. Um, and from these uh, metrics from each of these programs, CMS gives us a star rating. So um, here are here, here are those, uh, in each of these columns, you'll see the public reporting program. So the CMS overall star rating program, the patient experience star rating program, then the value-based purchasing program, the hospital acquired condition reduction, and the reducing readmission program. So these are the three uh, programs that have financial incentives associated with them. So uh, the overall CMS star rating um, uses mortality data, HCAPS patient experience data, hospital acquired infections data, hospital acquired harm data, um, uh, readmissions data, and the effectiveness of care data. The CMS patient experience star rating only uses the patient experience data. The value-based purchasing program, which is, you know, you can get a positive or negative adjustment to um, your billing, looks at mortality, patient experience, hospital acquired infections, hospital acquired harms, and cost and efficiency. So um, it includes all of the uh, STAR rating program, uh, STAR uh, domains except for readmission and effectiveness of care. The hospital acquired Condition, uh, hospital acquired condition reduction program or the HAC looks at hospital acquired infections and harms. Reducing readmissions only look at readmissions uh, so these are the CMS uh, programs. Now, um, I mentioned to you that one of the public reporting programs, or one of the public, uh, yeah, public scorecards that uses a lot of CMS data is LeapFrog. So LeapFrog uses uh, patient experience or HCAPS that uses harm, uh, hospital acquired infections as well as hospital acquired harm. What Leapfrog allows an organization to do, if you are a participant, and we just started participating in this um, uh, two rounds ago, is it allows hospitals to also provide uh, data, um, self-reported data about you know processes they have around uh, quality and safety. So um, you know one of the things about the PMS programs is they don't look at uh, they just look at outcomes they don't look at process so leapfrog allows you to um, provide attestation and validate that you have uh, quality improvement safety processes then internally we review monthly the true north metrics right now the true north metrics includes patient experience uh, hospital-acquired infections harms and readmissions okay so this is that uh, uh, summary that you can come back to. It's, it's a lot to remember, but I wanted to show you the, we wanted to show you the matrix of all the metrics and what they fall. So how do we perform? So after our licenses at San Leandro and Highland um, were combined, um, uh, it's now reflected under Highland hospital. We're working with CMS to see if we can change that titling. So it's clear. Um, this is our um, overall hospital rating. And for Alameda hospital, these are overall hospital rating and then below are our leapfrog scores. Um, And recall, this is because this is, we just had one round of participation here. Now, I mentioned to you that, you know, the stars rating don't take into consideration social determinants of health. So to give you some context, um, um, you know, for example, just in our own backyard, when we look at other public hospitals, such as Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, there are one star hospital, uh, if you look at, for example, Grady's, they're a one-star hospital. Um, then you also have public hospitals that are more highly rated. Um, so you have, for example, Henry Ford, which is two stars, and then some of the New York hospital and health system hospitals are, are a bit higher. So just to give you a lay of the land in terms of how we compare to other uh, public uh, entities. In addition to hospital quality reporting, on the provider side, um, in 2017, uh, CMS plus legislation that uh, Medicare Part B payments, this is the provider uh, pro fee, um, uh, that would also be adjusted based on performance. And so, um, in brief, uh, for all our providers um, at AHS that uh, bill for seeing patients, um, we have to submit data as an organization. Uh, on quality costs promoting interoperability is about um, basically our electronic health record system and then we have to attest to doing some improvement activities so every year um, you can see that basically there's an adjustment in the weighted weight of the domains. Um, ideally what uh, CMS wants to move towards is weighing more and more the cost category um, This has there's been a lot of lobbying against this about slowing down um the adjustment uh based on cost, but here here here's basically how um how that's weighted. For twenty twenty, if after you know, calculating all these points are greater than forty five points, you get a positive adjustment. So um that positive adjustment for twenty twenty is plus or minus nine percent, okay. So um, here is our estimated. Uh, with our movement to Epic, it's actually much easier for us to determine our scores. So um, basically, 45 is where we bre- 45 points is where we break even. We actually suspect that we're going to get 93 or 95 points. So we anticipate getting actually, um, you know, very close to that 9% adjustment. Uh, for our providers and the other good news is when one uh, does a provider um, compare for anyone who's at AHS or EBMG uh, it will show that our quality ratings for our providers are very high so I think that's really the main benefit um, that when they look up uh, the provider scores it will be very high so um, how for now I'm going to show you what we actually enter what um, the financial impact of these penalty programs. So here's a value-based uh, uh, purchasing program. It can be negative four to positive four. We received a slight penalty, but we're very close to break even. For our readmission, um, um, we received a slight penalty. Um, and then for our hack or HUSBIC or our condition program, we, uh, we received a penalty. So the totality of the penalties can go up to negative 6%. Um, and you can see that, um, we have hovered here about at 1.5%. So not as bad as 6%, but not in the positive category or neutral where we eventually want to move. So how do we move, um, to getting more and more of the incentive? Um, one of the ways that we've tried to do that as a governing body, um, uh, um, is, uh, you know, under the guidance of QPSC, Dr. Bouquet, as well as, well as uh, Dr. Maladine, um, uh, we have put together, you know, we have mirrored our True North metric dashboard to include a lot of those publicly reported items, um, such as throughput, readmissions, hospital acquired infections, harms, and H gap. So many, all of these domains uh, hopefully are familiar. now you will uh, recognize map back onto those CMS programs. Um, one of the challenges, uh, however, is that um, in the appendix you'll see of the domains, there's one, two, three, four, five domains. Uh, I calculated that four out of those five domains still use data um, uh, going back as far as 2016. So we implemented this True North metric process here um, in uh, June of uh, July of 2018. So. Hopefully, eventually, um, the CMS hospital rating uh, and public reporting will uh, catch up. That uh, will begin to reflect the performance improvement that we made. Um, so the final thing I'll say it is, is that um, I have begun working with the, my my team, and hopefully, be, will um, uh, review uh, in the next two weeks or three weeks. Next two weeks with the E.L.T. Uh, my recommendations for what I believe, um, or my proposals, the Q.P.S see for what this uh true north metric dashboard should look like um for fiscal 22 so it's one of those uh, last projects that I'd like to usher through before my um transition uh that ends my report
0: thank you for that report trustees any questions for Dr. Hussein on a whirlwind tour through public reporting Thank you, Tander, that's sort of amazing stuff. Um, hold on a second, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, potentially having a parliamentary issue right now. Uh, uh, Madam Clerk, can you call a roll call right now to see who's in the room? Because I, I, I've been informed we're at Jeopardy losing quorum, which is important for med staff
2: credentialing. Yes, um, Trustee Banerjee. She was having connection issues, so she may have dropped.
8: Okay. And
2: Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Dong. Here. Trustee Steen.
0: Here. There she is. And
2: Here. Trustee Jensen. And Trustee Splendoria.
0: Is Trustee Jensen in the room?
2: Well, I just got a text from Trustee Banerjee. She can hear us. We can't hear her,
0: though. Okay. So so we currently have a quorum right now. So, uh, team, uh, uh, everyone, I apologize. I have to make a little bit of an audible, and uh, I have general counsel to guide us. Um, uh, we have to approve med staff credentialing. We're going to lose quorum at 6.50 because one of the trustees has to leave. So uh, I'm going to apologize to presenters. Uh uh councils, uh can we go into close do a five-minute approval of credentialing and come back? Is that acceptable? Council easy and Council Moy.
5: Yes, uh Trusty that is acceptable.
0: So so uh uh audience, uh, my sincerest apologies. Uh you know it's always unexpected. We're gonna go approve credentials and then we're gonna come back and hear. Uh, uh, an important report um, from Dr. Natalie Curtis. It's a really, it, it's, it's going to be a, a great report to hear. So take us to close, Dr. Uh, uh, Council Azizi. That way we can get approval of these credentials. So that will include the trustees, uh, execs, and the, the uh, med staff leaders here. Uh,
4: absolutely. So, Rhonda, uh, what phone number is Trustee Banerjee calling in from? So I can...
2: I'll send you a text to month.
5: Okay, thank you. So, uh, we're going to go into closed session to consider the items as stated on the agenda.
0: Audience, we will be right back. Thank you. Um, we have done the business, so we're about to lose quorum, but we can now continue with our discussions. Dr. Do- Hussein uh, just uh, finished two very big reports for us. Uh, item D was was patient safety and regulatory affairs and talked to us about um, our successful navigation of, of uh, these joint commission straits that we've been in for the past 14 months. And then he gave us a review of publicly reported data because our public looks at, at us and, and, and that's one of the lens, lenses through which we've seen. So I really appreciate that, Dr. Hussain, that very comprehensive as always on that. Um, I want to get the floor to Dr. Jamal for a second here. And uh, Dr. Jay, the floor is yours.
8: Thank you. Thank you, Trustee uh, Bouquet. Uh, I just did not uh, have the opportunity to announce to the QPSC and to the board that Dr. Hussein will be leaving us. Um, at the last meeting, uh, you know, I was waiting just to have more clarity and to communicate with his team. But Dr. Tanvir Hussein will be leaving us around the end of May, around May 28. He is uh, uh, taking a bigger job, he's going to be the chief quality officer for uh, the VA uh, system, the multiple state uh, in the in the west area of the United States and Pacific area and a faculty position at UCSF. This is a, a you know a great opportunity for him uh, and and it's an offer that he cannot refuse it. I want really to thank him. Uh, for all the years and the uh, incredible team that, uh, that he has built. And uh, I will be working, I already started uh, communicating with his, with his team, with his directors. I communicated earlier with, uh, with uh, Trustee Bouquet and, uh, of course, with the executive leadership team about the transition plan, and we'll keep the board apprised about our, our plan of, of transition. Uh, thank you, Trustee Bouquet for giving me this uh, this opportunity.
0: Of course, Dr. Jen, Trustee Banerjee, I apologize. You had something to say before, we were losing some connection. I want to give you venue. I know you're having some tech. Does it work, Trustee Banerjee?
2: Thank you. And I don't know if you can hear me. Can you? I was having um, a lot of Zoom problems and was on the yeah. phone. But, um, but I, yeah, I wanted to especially thank um, Dr. Hussain and we, uh, what and make congratulations on your new um, opportunity and the VA system is very, very lucky to have you and what a huge loss for um for AHS but we hope that your legacy will stay with us and you know you brought a a leadership style of collaboration
0: well that's too bad (laughs) um trustee Banerjee sorry we've lost trustee Banerjee um, what, what I'll say this, to, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. J, or Ken, or or Dr. Hussein, um, uh, uh, Dr. Hussein's last day will be May 28th. So this is not his last face facing of the board. We have a whole series of. We have another QPSC. We have another full board meeting. And um, uh, what I say is, we still have plenty of time to embarrass him with with our congratulations. So we will do that. Um, um, and Thank and uh, so there, there's still more time for that. I, uh, I, I love full circle stories. Tandir won't tell you this and I apologize Tandir for, for giving this. Um, when Tandir's father uh, came to the United States, his, his father's a physician. Um, he came to the United States and he took a job with a Veteran Affairs hospital in Houston. And he's been a VA doctor for 10 is it 30 years. Uh, uh, yes, uh, pharmacist for 35 years. Oh, sorry, sorry, a pharmacist for 35 years. So the VA has has been a part of, of Tanvir's being since since it began. So when this opportunity presented itself, his father always told him he wanted Tanvir to be a part of the VA because the VA gave the Hussein family their lives here in America. So uh, it, 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 it's one of those full circle moments. And, um, you know, we're going to wish you the best, and then we're going to embarrass you a little bit in, in that. So thank you for your reports. And... Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll be hearing more from you, okay? Um, with that, we will close item E, and we will go into item F. To, just to recall for um, the trustees, uh, last month was sort of the inaugural month um, uh, to launch this new standing agenda item, uh, which we call quality improvement projects. And uh, I'll call this kind of a, a, the brainchild of many, uh, including Dr. Jamaladeen, Dr. Tonabene, Dr. Hussein, and, and in discussion with me, and I think it, it, it does sort of, uh, uh, if you will, shine a new opportunity for us. We've been in reactionary mode for so long in this organization. Now we have a little window of opportunity to look forward and, and, and do the celebration of, of things that we do well and maybe model it. So this new standing agenda general item is the quality improvement project report. This is the, the second one. Uh, we hope this will become a badge of honor for anyone who gets to come and present here. And I'm really happy to present uh, one of my department uh, colleagues. This is Dr. Natalie Curtis, our Medical Director for Ambulatory. And Dr. Curtis is gonna be talking to us about asthma management, uh, which is super, super important stuff. Dr. Curtis, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Trustee Miquette. Um mm-hmm. I'm just gonna share my slides. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Wonderful. Um, thanks for that introduction. So yeah, I'm Natalie Curtis. I am a primary care provider at Highland adult medicine clinic and I'm also the new medical director of ambulatory health outcomes. Um, this is actually a new role that was developed as a way to further support our gold and nurture culture of QI within ambulatory. And one of the purposes of this role is to really aim to inspire ongoing quality improvement work at the local sites. It's a way to kind of really inspire local leaders in addition to frontline workers and whenever we can patients to be involved with grassroots quality improvement work. So I'm really excited to be here today and get to share with you one of the projects that we've done, which is a population health outreach effort for asthma control. I just wanted to start off with giving you some background to the problem so as many of you probably know asthma is a really common respiratory disease um, with uh, about 8.2 percent of the u.s population having asthma and unfortunately there are a lot of health disparities with regards to asthma we see disproportionately higher rates of poor outcomes in black and african-american patients in addition to latinx communities um, in addition, Alameda Health System patients with asthma appear to be getting rescue inhalers more often than controller inhalers, which is not consistent with kind of clinical recommendations. So um, just to kind of clarify, a controller inhaler is really a medication that, that's kind of the mainstay of asthma treatment in which you take it daily in order to really kind of keep asthma at bay, whereas a rescue inhaler is something that's used on um, and kind of as symptoms erupt and kind of good controls reflected with kind of less use of that that rescue inhaler. So in terms of understanding our initial state as we we started this project, so um, this is based on one of our um, QIP metrics, um, which uses the asthma medication ratio as a clinical metric to understand how well asthma is controlled amongst our patients. Um, For those of you who haven't um, kind of heard of this metric before, I don't want to kind of, I'm not going to get too much into the weeds, but essentially what it is, is the number of controller inhalers that a patient has in relation to kind of overall inhalers with really a goal of making sure that patients are getting at least the one-to-one ratio of that controller that really great um, uh, treatment to kind of suppress asthma to a rescue inhaler. So we consider folks to be well controlled if that ratio is greater than 50%. Um, So this graph right here kind of shows us our initial state. So starting in June, 2019, our performance was 60.17% of H S patients um, with an asthma medication ratio greater than 0.5. And so higher is better for this metric. Um, you can see right next to it, there's kind of the different percentiles to put it into context with 25th percentile being like about 57%, 90th percentile being about 72%, and our target being 61%. So as we were kind of evaluating this problem as part of kind of a lot of the quality improvement work that we do, we did um, a fishbone to kind of better understand the root causes for our um, low kind of general use of controller medications in our population in AHS. We divide the categories into kind of different themes. I'm not going to kind of go through all of these. That would be just too much to do. But I did want to highlight a couple of kind of the root causes that we kind of use to base our countermeasures on our intervention on. And so one of them was a provider kind of level root cause, which was lack of knowledge of kind of up-to-date guidelines and step up therapy and asthma treatment. And then some patient level kind of root causes that were lack of understanding of how to use an inhaler, lack of understanding of the importance of the medications that were chosen and in addition language barriers that exist between patient and provider. So springboarding from these kind of root causes that we identified, we developed some countermeasures that kind of directly address those things. So kind of reflecting back onto those patients, um, patient-level root causes that we identified, we um, started with some patient outreach and education. Um, so we had our community health outreach workers um, that are part of the team, health outreach and outcomes team, um, called Alameda Health System patients who were below that goal of 50% for their asthma medication ratio. Um, When they called patients, they did kind of a comprehensive interview. They asked them about what they understood about their medications. They asked about how they used their medications. They checked in to see how their symptoms were doing. They also did really great things like helping to facilitate refills and connecting them with a primary care provider appointment if it was overdue or if they had any symptoms. They were also able to escalate a couple cases to like, acute evaluation by a nurse if they were very symptomatic at the time as well. Um, this was phase one of the major project that we did. Phase two, we incorporated another countermeasure, the one that was more related to provider understanding of kind of best practices for asthma treatment. So in addition to making the phone calls, um, the community health outreach workers then sent a message directly to the patient's PCP. And this message kind of this is stock phrase kind of for, most, for um, most providers with some slight variation of essentially kind of reviewing up-to-date guidelines and kind of recommending that they actively address asthma at their next visit to try and make changes with treatment and control. This slide here kind of goes over our overall impact um, for this project, which we were very excited to see. So I just want to orient you to the graph. So this graph shows the percent of patients with an asthma medication ratio greater than 0.5. And the x-axis shows kind of the time frame. So this intervention that we're looking at, the time frame is from August of 2019 to October of 2020. So it kind of pans the pandemic, essentially. Um, And the y-axis is the percent of patients that had the asthma medication ratio at the goal. Um, There is um, The red line kind of indicates what our target was for the metric. And then that target actually did change from the pandemic. So that's why there's a second line there in purple. The orange line um, is the performance of patients at at AHS. And so you can see the first arrow shows us um, at the implementation. We were kind of hovering around like low 60s, high high 50%. We kind of dipped a little bit below our goals after the implementation of phase one. And then starting at phase two, with, with the addition of the provider messaging, we actually saw a really significant uptick to the point where actually, um, it's not on this graph, but current data show that, that our performance is now around 70% on this metric. We also, so for, uh, um, for all of our quality improvement work, we really kind of, uh, want to be thoughtful and mindful of not widening any disparities. So, you know, you can kind of do a lot of aggressive work to address, um, kind of metrics and trying to improve performance and see an overall improvement for the whole population, but then, you know, like unintentionally widen the business disparity that may exist, um, for other populations. And so, We wanted to ensure that our um, intervention wasn't doing anything that was making things worse, wasn't, you know, differentially impacting some populations over others. So this graph is a little bit confusing. So I want to make sure that I explain it. So the blue bars is basically a breakdown of all the patients that we called um, and broken down by race and ethnicity. And then the orange line is a reflection of the percent of patients who After the calls were then kind of had met the goal, so had kind of the medication use as targeted. And so you can see that this line really follows kind of the the breakdown of um, the the patients who were called, which kind of shows us that we didn't have any sort of major negative impact in terms of widening disparities. We do see a little bit of like a stronger, you know, impact of the intervention on um, Asian and Pacific Islanders, but we don't see any sort of like significant drop. So, in addition to kind of um, the impact on the numbers, we also um, sought to get feedback from patients. So, we asked patients like, "What was this experience like for you? How was it to have you know a, a cold call from a community health worker, um, you know, asking you about how your asthma was?" And as you can see from this comment, it's like it was a it was a great experience. But I've never had someone call me regarding my asthma, and actually took took time to talk to me about my breathing and medications. I learned more information about how my controller medication works and its purpose. Um, We had other great feedback. Um, There was actually a video that was shared at the town hall um, kind of with a direct patient testimonial about this as well that was really um, exciting to get to see. In addition, we surveyed our community health outreach workers to see like what was it like for for you to kind of make these calls and connect with these patients. We know that they've really, really enjoyed this project and and actually um, our, our health outcomes and outreach team does a lot of work um, on lots of other outreach calls, and this is actually one of their favorite interventions because of the impact. As you can see from this comment, one of our outreach workers noted, what I like about asthma outreach is being able to empower patients through calls, empower them to feel and know that they can do a lot for their health themselves just by taking little steps each day to make a difference. So I just wanted to show you some faces behind the work that was done. I think it's always exciting to see this. So this is our work group. It was a multidisciplinary team of community health workers, Um, Our amazing nurse supervisor, um, uh, Anita Roberts, who oversees our HOOT team. Um, We have some emergency pediatrics, um, primary care um, providers who are part of this work group as well, in addition to our director of ambulatory pharmacy. But the the, the true shout-out and the true kind of highlight needs to go on our major and community health workers. Like, they are kind of the most important kind of players in all of this work. And without them, we wouldn't have been able to make any sort of impact like this. And so I just wanted to just kind of make sure that all of you got to be introduced virtually to these folks, because they're truly amazing people. Um, We have Carmen Mata, Dante Hicks, and Medin Zahan, who are just really, really wonderful So um, I just wanted to leave you all some conclusions, and then I can definitely answer whatever questions you have about the project. So we saw kind of from this project that a centralized group of of community health outreach workers can really make a meaningful impact on our quality metrics. This was kind of one of the metrics that was kind of immune to the changes of the pandemic, um, because as we saw, a lot of our quality improvement measures um, changed from that. Um, Racial equity should be woven into all the work we do instead of being considered separately from quality improvement work. This is something that we're striving to do with everything that we're doing with our um, health outcomes steering committee. Really kind of thinking critically about um, improving health disparities. Um, In addition, outreach efforts go beyond meeting quality metrics. So there is value added to kind of the patient experience for this and the staff experience, which is really, really um, important in terms of sustaining the work. So I will leave you with that. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you all might have about this project.
0: Wow, that was a great presentation, Dr. Curtis, uh, Dr. Curtis, do you mind putting this uh, back to full windows so we can all see each other? For sure. Trustees, I'll, I'll open it up for, uh, questions, uh, trustee esteem, uh, her hand went up, of course, trustee esteem game on.
3: I mean less a question and more a compliment for acknowledging racial equity as being a very integrated part of the work that we do and that it cannot be separated from quality. I think that we have heard from staff many times that, you know, there's certain intangibles. It's not even hearing it from staff, it's what we know. Something intangible is speaking to someone in their language. Something intangible is speaking to someone using a live interpreter. Something intangible is a mother holding her baby right then and there in front of you? So thank you so much for connecting that and saying how important it is.
0: Absolutely,
3: my pleasure.
0: So, so Dr. Curtis, I have so many questions, but I'm I'm going to try to keep a few of them. So, Dr. Curtis, in in your opinion, why do you, uh, so at, at the outset? Your goal was to hit 61.35% of that uh, of that ratio. And, and I think what I heard is you're currently sitting around 70%, which is approaching the 90th percentile. So my questions to you are twofold, and then I'm going to have more questions. Why do you think you are successful, and do you think this success, number two is, do you think this success is
4: durable?
1: That's a great question. I think part, I think a big kind of cornerstone to the success has been kind of the ongoing efforts that are being made. So essentially one of the things that's happening kind of on a regular basis as we're continuing to kind of revisit the folks and really kind of connect with them who aren't kind of who we haven't noticed an improvement on and really kind of working collaboratively and and reinforcing that message to providers over and over again. So it's not something that's kind of stopped once we saw the metric get to a certain point, it is kind of an ongoing project. Um, I think part of it because of just the ins and outs of the metric is that it is a little bit delayed in terms of impact at all, just because it's based on pharmacy data. So we did anticipate kind of like perhaps a lag of like two to three months of seeing that impact as well, Um, and I think I think there's something to be said, and I don't have any sort of like I don't know quantitative kind of data proof to, to support this, but I think there's something about the enthusiasm and kind of the the desire and want to make the calls and like the connection. And I think it's not coincidental that we're we're performing so well on a metric where the health outreach workers like really, really love the work. And I think that those two are, are very directly connected.
0: Yeah. They say not everything important is measured, right? <laughs> and a lot of stuff we measure isn't important. <laughs> So, but in this particular, do you think the success is bearable?
1: Um, I do. I think, I think it, I think it requires kind of the sustaining kind of ongoing calls and checks, check-ins. And I think, you know, we know that community health outreach work can impact asthma in general. I think it's, it's more often seen in terms of pediatric populations. And so we're just kind of trying to use it for yeah. adult populations. But I think as long as we have kind of the ability to continue to do kind of centralized, outreach and connecting with patients. I think that we can make it, you know, durable, but I think it will require kind of ongoing work and nurturing.
0: Um, so thank you. Uh, So another question, feel free to call a friend and I see Dr. Gupta in the room. So this might, she might be your friend on the answer on this one. You said this was a QI, this, this was a QIP metric. Um, do we know the dollar amount associated with, with achieving this particular QIP metric? I know that's really down in the weeds. If you don't know the answer, that's okay. Hi, Doctor Gupta. Hi. Yep, I'm, I'm
6: going to call can... a friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, call answered. So the you know the dollar amount varies each year. Um, the QIP stands for the Quality Incentive Program, which is our big pay for perfum- performance program through DHCS via um, CMS. We estimate that every year, each of the QIP metrics, including asthma is worth approximately $1.5 million. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, that dollar amount is subject to change. The dollars that are allocated to each hospital for the entire program are based on utilization data that comes via the health plans. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will know the dollar value for 2021, sometime in early 2022. However, we project that it's somewhere around $1.5 million, and, and that's probably close to where it will end up being.
0: Is it possible to pull out this specific metric about um, what the costs associated with, sorry, the gains associated with this? I guess I'm getting towards the argument. I do believe that there is an ROI on quality. I believe it, right? And uh, so my question would be, how much did these uh, three CHWs cost, and then what was our QIP And does this, and that would go to our sustaining strategy, right? Because uh, I've been on grants before and man, it was great while they were there. And then the grant went away and it wasn't sustainable. (sighs)
6: Um, When just to clarify, you know, this year, the entirety of the QAP program is estimated to be worth $60 million. And we will be reporting on 40 metrics. And so each individual metric is thought to be worth approximately $1.5 million. That's what you
0: meant. Got it. Okay.
6: Um, and I, you know, I think we can all guess that the Chow salary is well underneath, you know, the, the return on investment just based on that. It's not a perfect ROI analysis. You yeah. know, it more than pays for itself. Natalie didn't mention all of the other work that the Chows do supporting other metrics that are also in the green because of their work. So yeah. the return on investment is actually much higher than the 1.5 million associated with plasma.
0: So, so wow. Uh, that, that interface between quality and finance, right? Trustee has seen Madam Chair of the Finance Committee, <laughs> you know, so um, uh, again, applause to to all who have contributed. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal.
8: It is also a HEDIS measure. Am I correct, uh, Niha? It's a very important HEDIS measure that's part of the plan, of the Alliance plan and the uh, anthem. Okay. Well, thank
0: you. And <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for blowing it out of the water on that one. Um, we'll take it uh and and again these are the questions that we want we want to apply to anyone who comes in presents a quality improvement project you know we can all be kind of a shooting star and flame out and we're trying to build a durable organization i hope um so with that no further questions of dr curtis thank you dr curtis thank you dr gupta for support on that one yeah we'll take it um, with that, we will close out um, item. Give me a second here; it's loading. Uh, we will close out item uh, F. Uh, the the uh, item G is uh, the planning calendar. Note that we have a couple of issues on our issue tracking that we'll put forward. We want to ultimately have a wrap up around nursing education. I know that's still in flux. Throughput uh, and the transfer center was, of course, brought up and continuously brought up. Um, so we'll find a way to assign that. My, my initial thoughts and I'll have discussion uh, with Mr. Jackson and Mr. Fraskey that, that might belong to our Chief Operating Officer on, on all those issues. But we could, we, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of bear that out. Those are still on our tracking list. Trustees, anything else that you would like to add for further report? Um, thank you. As a reminder, this one's to uh, uh, Madam Clerk and Dr. Tornabene. We've worked on a working inventory of kind of forecasting future um, performance improvement projects. I think we just forgot to add that into today's packet. We'll make that a standing item. So to the audience and the trustees, uh, Dr. Benny is working to forecast uh, performance improvement projects. So I, I imagine that the line will start to get long. Uh, that way we can have in our mindset and trustees can even ask for, hey, does does anyone do this kind of stuff? So to, to, to remember what we've heard from and to forecast in the future. So if we can include that as a, uh, as a future standing item, a standing, uh, 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 data point in, on this agenda item. So with that, I close item G audience. We are going to go, uh, the remaining trustees are going to go into closed session. I imagine it I'm estimating around 15 minutes and then we'll come out and report to you that, uh, that whatever if there's anything to report which there probably won't be on to to report that so if you're here when we come back uh, thank you Uh, I mean uh, uh, we'll see you if you're not uh, have a good evening.